You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. We're grateful to have you with us. Did you know that you can listen to Real Presence Live in any of the daily programs you hear on RPR by way of our app? Simply go to the app store on your phone and search for Real Presence Radio. Once downloaded, Real Presence Radio is accessible anywhere you are at any time. So if you don't have the RPR app yet, go to your app store now and download it as you listen to our next interview. Welcome back, Dr. Hirschberger. And I want to say again, happy St. Patrick's Day. And I have a question for you. Okay. Why do people wear shamrocks on St. Patrick's Day? Why do people wear shamrocks on St. Patrick's Day? Mm -hmm. Um, Is this a joke or is it a serious It's a joke. (laughs) Oh. Kind of. Sorry, I I didn't warn you. Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I might know the serious answer, but I don't know that I know the joke Okay, answer. well, the, the joke answer is because real rocks are too heavy. Oh, my Get goodness. Get it? Shamrocks? Okay, <laughs> drum, drum roll. Yeah. Drum roll and cymbal <laughs> clash. Uh, well, Dr. Yeah, Hirschberg, but a bang. Right. <laughs> yeah, but a bang. Before the break, um, we were talking about, you were, you were talking about uh, the importance of the context, and we talked about liturgical seasons and how music needs to be appropriate to liturgical seasons. Um, and we're, we'd just like um, to hear what you have to say about um, the experience and the appropriateness of music for that um, week that we call Holy Week, the week in which we re- enter in more deeply to Christ's passion and death preparing us sure. for his resurrection. Sure, absolutely. And Holy Week is, is an outstanding way to talk about uh, music, musical context and liturgical context, because Holy Week is, is sort of the, the, the apex of the, the Lenten journey. And so during Lent, music is, is uh, far more subdued. Uh, for example, um, uh, at St. Mary's, the organist, do not play preludes or mm. postludes or any sort of instrumental music outside of accompanying the hymns, uh, the ordinary setting of the Mass, or uh, what, what uh, the choir uh, may be doing for um, a post-communion antiphon or, or anthem. Um, and, so it, and, and we deliberately also have no—we have lots of silence, uh, especially during the offertory. It's the one— Season where every Sunday we can hear the priest say, you know, uh, blessed are you, Lord God, um, uh, for you bring forth bread from the earth, you know, say, uh, uh, and we respond with blessed be God. A lot of times music is going on during that, and so we don't hear the priest say that, but we want to make sure that that gets said, uh, that gets heard, and there's a, a chance to participate. And so Lent is this this silent sort of uh, subdued contemplative journey to Holy Week, and then Holy Week uh, begins with Palm Sunday, of course. And you have and Palm Sunday begins really up, Hosanna to the Son of David, um, you know, and so the music is very very glorious and, and filled with um, uh, exaltation. And as the that particular liturgy moves into the Passion story, 
the music moves with it into more sober, reflective, and oftentimes by the end of, of um, uh, the Palm Sunday Mass, um, you know, the last hymn will be something like, uh, Ah, Holy Jesus, uh, whom hast thou uh, offended? And so then we move into Holy Week uh, proper, it's, it's Holy Thursday, and uh, Holy Thursday, the, the celebration of, of the Lord's Supper, the, the institution of the Eucharist. And the music uh, surrounding that um, is, is so wonderful, whether it's the, the uh, Ubi Caritas uh, uh, setting for uh, the foot washing or um, the uh, Mozart Ave Verum Corpus, you know, uh, with the hail, uh, uh, true body of, of Christ. And so we want to uh, use music to kind of support and uplift the particular um, liturgical action that's going on um, with Holy Thursday. And then, of course, moving into Good Friday, music uh, reflects the Passion, and so we'll, we will sing, um, for example, the Reproaches. Um, we'll also sing, uh, you know, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? Um, uh, o Boni Jesu, by Palestrina, different, different settings in different styles that really lead us to the foot of the cross. Uh, music that's going on during uh, the, the veneration of the cross, where we kiss the feet of the corpse. Um, and then, um, you know, and it's all very, very somber. And then you get to uh, the Great Easter Vigil, uh, um, and that's a wonderful service that that begins this great crescendo from um, the exalted at the beginning, sung by the deacon or priest, and then the uh, various psalms in the, in the readings, and then and then we move into the, the liturgy proper, and uh, the bishop uh, sings the, the, the triple Alleluia, which, by the way, Alleluia has been retired on the last Sunday before Lent, and yes. there's no Alleluia during Lent, and then all of a sudden, Alleluias go crazy. <laughs> it's really wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and the, you know, there's, this, there's just this gradual crescendo of, of glory and joy and praise, uh, that really culminate and light, you know, the increase of light, you know. So Christ is risen, and, and uh, from then on, it's 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 a musical festive uh, uh, festive occasion. What a beautiful um, walk you just gave us through Holy Week to um, to Easter Sunday morning. Um, could could you just share with us a little bit about? I was just struck by your knowledge of what's going on in each of those particular liturgies. But could you talk a little bit about what you personally do as a choir director to choose the music that will be used for those liturgies? Well, I sure would be glad to. And of course, you know, I, uh, we because um, the, the sacred uh, triduum is um, always celebrated by the bishop, um, the musical decisions are actually, you know, made in consult and, uh, with um, Father Kramer in the diocesan mm-hmm. office because he's the liturgy director there, and, and Father Kramer is wonderful uh, uh, liturgical musician himself, and uh, did his his master's degree in in the formation of the of parish uh, musicians, and so he and I get together and we we kind of talk through things and we we you know we tweak this and you know we, from year to year we think well what worked last year and well let's. But why don't we try this this year? But we pay attention to the readings, we pay attention to the flow of the liturgy, 
Um, we even pay attention to things like how fast should we sing the Litany of the Saints, uh, uh, you know, in the Great Easter Vigil, so that we time getting uh, the bishop and the candidates and catechumens back to the baptismal font. So, you know, uh, it, there's a lot that goes into it. It really is um, um, a, oh, shall, a staging, even, we, you know, paying attention to time, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So we, we, we think about uh, readings, we think about context, and we think about flow. Those are the things that, that help us make these decisions. Wow. Well, I want to thank you very much this morning for being on Real Presence Live and for um, your sharing your knowledge and actually by sharing your knowledge, drawing us um, more deeply into that desire to go more deeply into um, the rest of Lent and into Holy Week. So thank you, Dr. Hirschberger. My pleasure. God bless you all. Thank, thank you. you so much. God thank bless you, you too. Up next, we'll have the pleasure of sitting down with Father Jim Goodwin of the Diocese of Fargo for Straight Talk. Father Goodwin is the Judicial Vicar in the Tribunal and the Annulments Office of the Diocese of Fargo. So if you have questions on valid marriages, annulments, what age a person can get married in the church, or anything else, now is the time to call. And the number is 877-795-0122. That's Straight Talk, next when Real Presence Live continues. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Looking for the latest news coming out of our local diocese on the novel coronavirus precautions? Listen for RPR Newslink updates Monday through Friday at the top of each hour during Real Presence Live and again throughout the afternoon, five minutes before 12, 1, 5, and 6 p.m. Central. We want to keep you informed so you can make the best decisions for you and your loved ones in this time of trial. It's the RPR Newslink, weekdays at the top of each hour during Real Presence Live and five minutes before 12, 1, 5, and 6 p.m. Central, right here on Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Mayo Pharmacy in Bismarck is a faith-based pharmacy committed to delivering excellent care. We're pro-life and pro-family, respecting the dignity of the human person while providing for your individual needs. We have Catholic gifts for all ages, from mystic monk coffee to cards and crucifixes. Plus, we offer a wide range of clinical services, including rapid influenza testing and diabetes care management. You can visit us at 303 North 4th Street to discover the Mayo difference. Our number is 701-223-2424. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Okay, thanks for staying with us on Real Presence Live. Before we head into Straight Talks, I want to invite you to visit our website, realpresenceradio.com, for even more great content. There you can listen to programming from your local area. Find a podcast if you missed one of the uh, if you missed one of the daily shows. Submit a prayer intention for prayerfully yours, and see what's happening across the network on our news page. Be sure to check it out, realpresenceradio.com. Okay, you've heard the dial tones. That means it's time for straight talk. Call eight seven seven. Seven nine five zero one two two. now to get on the air with Father Jim Goodwin. If there is anything you have been wondering about when it comes to why we believe what we believe as Catholics, 
Or if you have a question on the faith that you haven't had a chance to ask yet, now is that time. 877-795-0122. You can also send your questions in on Facebook. Call Our, our call screeners will also be checking messages there. And so we'd like to welcome Father Jim Goodwin, who is uh, practicing social interacting today. He's in the studio with us. Welcome, Father. Glad to have you here. Thank you very much. Good morning. Okay, well, you're the judicial vicar for the tribunal, so what is the tribunal and why is it needed? Well, the church, uh, like any institution, has laws, has rules. Every church does, every institution does, uh, because law is how you order your society, uh, and the church is a society, so we need uh, laws to help us to regulate what we do. And, of course, you have disputes that happen in the church. I know that's a shock, but if you read the Acts of the Apostles or even the Gospels, you'll find out there were disputes amongst the apostles from the very beginning, uh, ranging back to who is first, who is best, who's going to sit at the right and left side, uh, all kinds of things. And so uh, disputes are part of human life, and so somebody has to adjudicate those disputes. And so over the course of 2,000 years, uh, the church has developed a system to do that. Uh, we have our own court system. We have our own judges. We have our own codes of law uh, that regulate how things are done in the church, regulate the sacraments, uh, deal with marriage issues. That's a lot of what we do. Uh, deal with property disputes. Anything that any legal system deals with, uh, we deal with. And in fact, uh, basically most of the legal systems in Western society have uh, evolved from the legal system of the Catholic Church. Uh, for a while there, they really didn't have a lot of legal systems going on when the empire fell, and so we sort of took up the slack, and we became sort of the model for legal systems. Okay, so basically the, the church has its own uh, rule of law and system of uh, adjudication that kind of parallels civil law in a way. I know they're not entirely the same, but uh, you know, just like we in society need laws, the church also does as well, just like you explained. That's right. And so the tribunal for the Diocese of Fargo uh, deals with those issues. Uh, we don't deal just with uh, marriage annulments. That's what we're best known for. But we deal with all the different issues that come forward. Uh, as the judicial vicar, uh, as a vicar, I represent uh, the bishop. I act for the bishop uh, when it comes to the legal affairs of the diocese. Uh, in a sense, I'm a... I'm like the bishop's attorney, I'm like the attorney for the diocese, I'm like a, the chief prosecutor, chief judge, attorney general, all of those roles that we would have in civil law are sort of rolled up into uh, the job of the judicial vicar. And so uh, the bishop, most bishops don't have degrees in canon law, and so the church provides for him to have a vicar who does and who can assist him in uh, regulating the legal situation in the diocese. Now, is is the the bishop the uh, the supreme court for the diocese, so to speak, or uh, are there also appeals beyond the diocesan tribunal? Well, the bishop is the he is the chief judge for the diocese, uh, although he doesn't normally judge cases. Uh, he delegates that in a sense to me uh, by the law itself, but the. Uh, we do have appellate tribunals. Uh, for example, the Metropolitan Tribunal in Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, hears appeals from us. 
And there's also uh, an appellate system that goes further up to Rome, to the, to the Roman Rota. Uh, so if uh, people can appeal their case to either of those, if they wish, uh, some people go directly to the Rota and try it, try it that way. But <clears throat> usually it starts at our level and works its way up. Uh, and then there's, uh, there's other tribunals within Rome that deal with more specialized kinds of cases. But for the most part, the Roman Rota is the Supreme Court, as it were, for the Catholic Church. Okay, great. Now, in the introduction, we mentioned annulments and marriages. And so I've got a question here. What's, what determines a valid marriage? Well, a valid marriage, uh, according to the law, it has to be... Uh, uh, confected in front of two witnesses. Uh, there has to be an exchange of vows. Uh, there's, there's really two different ways of looking at it. One is there's what we call natural marriage. Uh, this would be two non-Catholics who may or may not be baptized, uh, or at least one of whom isn't baptized. And if they go to the justice of the peace, then that's a valid marriage as far as we're concerned, because they've gone to someone in authority, they've made their promises, and there have been witnesses. So there's a basic acceptance of natural marriage. A sacramental marriage is between two baptized Christians. Even two baptized Protestants, if they're married in front of their minister, they are married, as far as we're concerned, sacramentally, because they're baptized. Now, for Catholics, there's not just the basics, but there's also ecclesiastical laws that they have to uh, follow our our form of marriage. That uh, if a Catholic uh, marries uh, a Protestant and does so uh, without getting the proper uh, dispensations, it could be that that marriage would be invalid, uh, if uh, or at very least illicit. If a Catholic gets married in uh, in front of a justice of the peace, he can do so, but he needs the proper dispensation from uh, the bishop to do that. So there's lots of little little things in the law, and that's why when, uh, when Catholics approach a priest to talk about marriage, he has sort of a checklist of questions that he asks them to determine whether or not they are eligible for marriage, and then how, how that marriage is going to happen so that it makes sure that it follows, uh, follows our law. And our job is to determine in the tribunal, if someone approaches us and says, uh, I question the validity of my marriage, is for us to look at all of those different things to see whether or not they follow the proper form, whether or not uh, the exchange of, of vows was, uh, was a valid consent. Um, and so that's a lot of what we do is investigating that and then adjudicating that to determine whether or not it followed the church's law. Okay, great. Now, uh for, those, for our listeners, I want to remind you that this is an open, uh, open phone time. Feel free to call in your questions to 877-795-0122. You can also send your questions to us on Facebook, and uh, our call screeners will be checking for messages there. Again, that number is 877-795-0122. Mother, I have a quick question. If... If a um, couple that's Protestant got married in their Protestant church, both baptized, obviously, and became Catholic, came into the Catholic church, do they have to have their marriage blessed by the church? 
No, they don't. The marriage was already valid. They oh. don't need to do anything. And considered sacramental as well. That's correct. Okay, we have Thank a you. caller on the line. Dave from Montevideo has a comment on how we should act during the coronavirus outbreak. Yes, uh, last night uh, we were doing our evening prayers and such. We haven't had TV for 27, 23 years now, uh, and uh, instead we pray. Uh, I came up with a prayer that I think could be helpful to people in trying to uh, calm fears, etc. Oops, sounds very good. Would, uh, is, is it a short prayer? Uh, probably about 200 words. Well, why don't you go ahead, then maybe this is a time we'll insert some coronavirus stuff here. And uh, and then we'll get back to Father. The Holy Catholic Church wishes all to join in a worldwide prayer effort to ask God to end the fear and ask for his forgiveness of all of our sins and a penance to end the spread and damage of the coronavirus epidemic. We ask that you listen, but begin praying and ask everyone you know by whatever means available to join in asking God to spare any and all people from further infection, harm, and illness. Quelling fear is a big part of this mission. We need to ask God to stop the spread of this viral disease and to use our prayer to satisfy the disparity of medical treatment, the compassionate care of all those who are suffering and those not yet affected to be spared damage from this medical curse. It seems we haven't lost our common sense, so now it's time to take a good level of effort to ask all to use the shutdown from schools, commerce, and so many more of our normal day-to-day activities, please use this opportunity to invoke God's blessing and hopefulness that this viral disease can be quelled and stopped by the power of our prayers to God. Amen. Okay, thank you, Dave. Father, you have anything to supplement or piggyback on that? Well, I would would just sort of interject that uh, we've been through this before, Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. We've been through plagues. And one of the things I did in my parish was I found a novena to the 14 holy helpers uh, that was invoked uh, during the plague back in Germany. Uh, you can find it online. There's a, a, a prayer app for, uh, for novenas, and I found it on that. Uh, it's a relatively brief prayer, but you can pray that uh, over nine days or just continually. Uh, it's 14 saints that are well-known for uh, their... Uh, their interest in healing, especially. Uh, there's also uh, St. Rock, or sometimes called St. Rocco. Uh, he's also uh, invoked against uh, plague and disease. Uh, and so these are, you know, to look back at some of the old devotions that we have, uh, and of course to pray the rosary, um, especially if you're unable to go to Mass. I know some in the, some in the area are not able to go to Mass. Uh, you can certainly uh, watch Mass on 
on TV if you have it or EWTN. And, uh, and to pray the rosary and to read the readings of the Mass. Uh, our pioneer ancestors, that's what they did when they weren't able to, uh, to go to Mass because there wasn't a priest or because there was a, a flood or blizzard or something like that. So we've, we've been here before, and we're not without, uh, we're not without uh, resources. Okay, great. Thanks, Father. Another reminder to all of our listeners, uh, if you have questions uh, on any topic, 877-795 is the number to call, and uh, Father will be happy to, to field your question as, as best he can. Again, 877-795 is the number to call for Real Presence Radio. So feel free to call. The, the lines are open right now. But uh, let's go back and talk a little bit more about the, your, your, your area of uh, expertise, which is you know the tribunal and marriages. And, um, uh, Doreen, did you have another question for Father? Something that I often hear from people that don't understand the annulment process is um, there's sort of a negative attitude about the church making people go through that. Um, Father, could you explain what is really at the heart of why the church um, requires that process of annulment and how it helps the, the individuals? Well, most people that we deal with, uh, on the Catholic side anyway, have had some kind of marriage preparation before they got married. Uh, and we assume uh, that everyone who marries, be they Protestant, Catholic, or otherwise, uh, knows what they're doing when they marry, and that they're intending to marry uh, this person for the rest of their life. And so they stand before the altar and promise to God that that's what they're going to do. So we take that seriously. We take their words seriously. Um, and so when they come to us and say that there was something wrong or deficient in, <clears throat> in my consent at the time, or I didn't know what I was doing, or whatever they might say, that there was an issue, that there was, you know, my, uh, my spouse uh, hid something from me and I didn't know it at the time. There's all kinds of things that can happen. Um, we have to determine that because we take people at their word when they say, uh, I take you to be my wife. Uh, so to sort of blame us for, for taking you at your word when you say that, um, you know, it's a little, a little unfair to us, I think, and maybe I'm just speaking from working on the other side for a while. Uh, but it's a matter that we take what people say seriously and we take the sacrament seriously. Uh, and that everyone has to go through this process. Uh, King Henry VIII uh, had to go through this process as well and objected to it strenuously. Uh, but the Church believes in the sacrament so strongly that they were willing to uh, even thwart the will of a king uh, in order to defend the idea of Christian marriage. Uh, so there, it's not. I, I realize when people approach us that they're often hurting. Uh, they've been through a difficult situation. Maybe the marriage was a disaster. Uh, maybe there was abuse in the marriage. Uh, you know, we, we've seen it all come through. And so we try to be uh, careful and compassionate when we deal with that. Uh, but at the same time, we still have to deal with it. We still have to look at it. Uh, sometimes people, it's not so much they object to the process, it's that they don't want to go through uh, thinking about that stuff bef that happened before. But the important thing for us on that is to make sure that people don't end up uh, in the same situation again. Uh, sometimes when we have people who've been in multiple marriages who approach us, we see that they've been in three different marriages where 
the same thing happened in each one of those. And so they may not want to go back and look at it, but it's important that they do in order to make sure that they don't make the same mistake uh, the fourth time. So it's, it's not just because we enjoy putting people through the process. It's because the process actually does have a purpose, even if they don't see it at that moment. Is it, do you have couples talk to you after they've been through it about um, healing those wounds that have maybe resulted from uh, a situation that led to divorce? Does the annulment process help with that at all? Or is it kind of more legal? We've had people who will say that, uh, that it has helped them because it did make them examine what actually happened in the marriage. Uh, sometimes it makes them examine it in a more objective sense because often we have people, you know, they're going to blame the spouse for what happened. It's because of what my wife did or what my husband did. Uh, and then through the process, uh, they realize that, you know, marriage is often a, you know, it's two people involved and that maybe there were some things that uh, they did or how they reacted uh, were needed to be changed. Uh, some do fight that idea. So we have some on the other side who don't want to see uh, that what they, what they were doing was contributing to the problem that made the marriage invalid. Uh, but in, in order then, we, we have what we call a vetitum or prohibition uh, against a future marriage until that situation is dealt with. So, for example, if you have somebody who was an alcoholic and maybe as a result of that, whatever reasons, they ended up in an invalid marriage, if they're still an alcoholic, we're going to say that they cannot marry in the church until they have been sober, until they have dealt with that issue. Now, some of them may object strenuously to doing that, but that's our obligation to protect the sacrament and also to try to help the person uh, to see that uh, there needs to be some conversion of heart that has to happen for them and, and change in lifestyle for them to be able to enter into a valid and healthy marriage. Uh, in some ways, it's like being uh, in the confessional or being like a physician when you're in a situation where you have somebody smoking three packs a day and you tell them they have to stop or they're going to have lung cancer, they don't like you very much sometimes. Mm -hmm. But you're doing it not because you want to be mean, but because you want to help them. You want them to have a healthy life. We want them to have a healthy sacramental marriage. It seems like a very loving thing for the church to do, to be strong enough and caring enough to help them um, make the changes necessary. So when you tell me I shouldn't have additional ice cream after supper, I should be thinking what a loving thing that is. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Doreen. Yeah. Okay, the number to call if you have questions, 877-795-0122. And we do have uh, open lines. Um, Father, I have a question. If we have listeners out there who are divorced and considering remarried, they're Catholic, um, how do they go about starting the process of annulment? Well, the first thing they should do is approach their, their pastor. Uh, we usually uh, advise them to do that so they have somebody to sort of hold their hand, as it were, through the process. Uh, so the first thing I would say is approach the pastor. Uh, they can always call the tribunal, and, and we can send them the information to get started. Uh, but it's helpful to have the pastor there to uh, answer the questions. And, and the second thing I would say is to not be daunted when they get uh, the paperwork. They say, oh, wow, this is a lot of questions. Uh, but that's important for us because what we're looking for is uh, sort of an overall picture of what happened. 
so that we can determine whether or not there might be some kind of ground for an annulment and what that ground might be. So you may not know why we're asking all those questions, uh, but there is a purpose behind it. It helps us to sort of hone in on uh, what might have happened. And, and then we follow up with an interview to sort of uh, focus on those areas of concern that we found. Could you say something about the cost? I've heard people kind of complain about, oh, it costs so much. Yes, we still hear that, even though the fact is that uh, there's no cost at all. Uh, we, at the end of the process, we send uh, a request for a donation, uh, but there's no cost for the, for the annulment. Uh, uh, we don't, some, I know uh, it has been bandied about that if you just uh, slip us a few bucks, that somehow you're going to miraculously get that annulment. Uh, I don't know where that came from because no one has ever attempted to bribe me, and and, and uh, frankly, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't, ha- you know, we we don't do that. So uh, that's that's a falsehood as well. So if if cost is keeping you from doing this, then don't let it because there is no cost. It's it's funny how some of those perceptions just refuse to die. That's true. Another one is uh, well, if I get the annulment, then my children will become illegitimate. Uh, That, too, is false. Our law specifically states the contrary. Our law says that uh, whether you have, you know, if you get an annulment, your children remain legitimate. Uh, But that's another thing that often happens, that people will say, I don't want to do it because of that. Um, And that's that's false. And the Code of Canon Law is online. So if you doubt me, uh, you can can look it up for yourself. Right. We still have time for uh, calls from our listeners. Uh, Feel free to call that number, 877-795-0122. Our call screeners are waiting for you. Father, are there, um, does the church have any uh, like rules surrounding that time between divorce, civil divorce, and completing an annulment process with regards to dating? In other words, should divorced Catholics who are not annulled be dating well, the short answer, short answer for that is no, because a civil divorce for us is like a separation. It doesn't mean that you're free to marry. So you have to, you have to understand from the church, church's perspective, you are still married. So just like you wouldn't date somebody while you're, you know, before the civil divorce, you, you don't do so afterwards either. And this is, this is an issue that comes up where people have already been dating and they want to get married, then they approach the tribunal. I would suggest to most people that, you know, after, after the divorce, often it's good to have, you know, six months or a year to sort of process things. But then if you feel like you, your, your marriage might have had some problem with it that might have led it to be invalid, and you're thinking that perhaps you would like to marry at some other point, then approach the tribunal before you get into the situation where you start looking uh, for someone else. Um, once you've done that, and then you said, okay, you know, we want to get married, then you approach the tribunal, there's no guarantee about whether or not we'll rule in your favor. You know, we, you're not on trial, but the marriage consents on trial. And sometimes uh, people do have a valid marriage, and it broke up for whatever reason, and then they are not, they're not eligible to remarry. And there's nothing that we can do about it. We cannot uh, invalidate a valid marriage. Even the Pope can't do that. So if you receive a, 
a negative decision, then uh, certainly you can appeal. But if that doesn't work, then uh, either you have to try on different grounds or you have to accept the fact that uh, you are that you're married and that you cannot date, you cannot marry someone else. Uh, and and that's that's often one of the toughest things that we have to encounter is when we have to tell people uh, something like that that they don't want to hear. Um, and that's that's where sort of the rubber meets the road in any kind of a situation. It, it just is a, a difficult thing. And, and it's something to remember for people who are getting married, that when you make your promises before the altar, uh, those are for life. And I always tell the couples, if you are... You know, the church expects you to be sitting here 50 years from now when you're old and gray and wrinkled and still sitting there next to each other as husband and wife. And they always laugh because, you know, they're 20-somethings, but we mean that. And so this is one of those areas that maybe is best addressed coming into marriage to say this is a a very solemn thing. It's not just a, a, you know, a fun event and then a party, but it's making a a vow, a solemn vow before God. Okay, we have a question on the phone. We have Nancy from Fargo. And Nancy, what is your question for Father? Okay, hi. Good morning, everybody. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Good morning. Um, Thank you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Amen. What about when anybody's family members have gotten married outside the church and they might have their faith be more important now? Or um, how do you if, how do you not if they want to tell them how helpful it is to have uh, a pre-Catholic marriage counseling and is that available for people who are already married but want to get married again in the with the sacrament of matrimony in the church? Uh, how do we they approach would, uh... them or tell them that life is easier with with uh, God? <laughs> Certainly, we would encourage them to approach their pastor uh, if they are, if they are for whatever reason, free to marry to receive uh, premarital preparation. Uh, that would be helpful for them. But even if they, but even if they are married outside the church and uh, maybe they're in the process of an annulment or maybe they received a negative decision, uh, they can still they're still Catholic. They can still go to mass. They still participate, even if they can't receive Holy Communion. They can make an act of spiritual communion. Um, the participation in the Mass is not just receiving Holy Communion. There's a whole level of participation in the Mass. And there's all kinds of other things that they can do in terms of adoration, praying the rosary. Uh, They can receive blessings from the Church. There's all kinds of ways for them to continue to participate and practice their faith. And we certainly encourage them uh, to do that and help them in any way that we can. Okay, Nancy, thank you for your call. We're coming up on a break here. Father... Thank you very much for uh, your time with us today for uh, this segment of Real Presence Live. And uh, we're happy that you were able to come into the studio and and be with us. And uh, again, our guest was Father Jim Goodwin from the the Judicial Vicar for the uh, Tribunal for the Diocese of Fargo. And uh, uh, I think it's been an interesting time. I think our our listeners learned a lot. And uh, I hope we can have you back again sometime. Well, thank you, and happy St. Patrick's Day. And up next, what does it mean when Jesus says he will always be with us, and how should this message impact our relationships?